Is there a witch in the woods? A curse on your camp? A haunting in your home? It's time to find out. Welcome to the Cower Hour. I'm your host, Briar. And I'm Nora. And this week we've watched the 1925 silent movie adaptation of The Phantom of the Opera, directed by Robert Julian until he left the production, then Edward Sedgwick for a second cut of the movie, and then finally Maurice Pivar and Louis Weber, editing out most of Sedgwick's material to create the final movie. But before we get to the summary, what have you been up to this week, Nora? Have you played anything frightening? No, I read Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. That was my week. I've heard about that man and his books many a time. I also tried to watch another movie for this podcast and didn't, so now we're doing this one instead. Yeah, I mean, our transition was surely so smooth that nobody would have noticed otherwise. Mm Mm-hmm. As long as they don't go back to the previous episode and listen to the outro. Yeah. No one listens to podcast outros. No, they, they quit as soon as the questions are done. Um, I also have not been watching... Well, I guess I have technically also watched that movie we didn't cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on that movie, but I guess we will not get to them. Yeah, you should put, tweet about it or something. <laughs> I probably should. That's what people do with their thoughts these days. Yeah. Um, but no, that's that's all I've been doing is just reading Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. I did consider starting one of those, but I didn't know where to start, so I bought an audiobook of the first Earthsea book instead. The secret... Like, people have made flowcharts for the Brandon Sanderson books, and it's the most ridiculous shit in the world. Because it's the same shit as people who, like, try to tell you what order to watch The Prisoner in. It's like... You can start with any book that is in the series... Uh, as long as you read that story in order. Like, obviously you're going to read the first Mistborn book first. Like, it doesn't matter yeah. if you read the Stormlight Archive or Mistborn first, or if you start with Elantris. Like, it, it, they're all fucking different stories, so you can just do whatever, and then you'll, like, look back and think, wait, was this character from this book? Why was he over here in this other planet? That's weird. And then that's, that's the experience of reading Brandon Sanderson. I mean, you know how people get. You know how people get about orders for various pieces of media. Media. Yeah. I think you're very confusing with that primarily. The the only th- real suggestion that I ever have for Brandon Sanderson like Cosmere books is. I don't know how strong Elantris is as a starting point, since it's the first one that he got published. Um, we're reading it for an upcoming podcast, but uh, I haven't actually finished it. So, oh. I started with Westborn. Well, it's a it's a fun YA fantasy heist. Like, yeah. I will take note of that. Don't was think that too much had? about it. If you're thinking a lot about Brandon Sanderson books, don't think this much about it. <laughs> oh, I don't think about anything. I'm surprised you haven't Somebody noticed that yet. I might be thinking. <laughs> Well, if we have no other spooky media to discuss, I suppose we should talk about that movie. Yeah. We picked this because I was like, okay, I want to do a universal monster movie. What's the first one of those? Oh, Phantom of the Opera? Okay. Why is it listed separately from the rest of them? Oh, it's a silent film? 
I haven't watched one of those. Fucking let's go. Yeah, and now I really want to watch more silent movies because they're like really fun, right, Charlie? Yeah. Um, I did not expect... I thought that this would be more of a monster movie than it was. Because um, I thought that there was a bigger difference between the original like book and the my conception of what Phantom of the Opera is. But there might not be as big a difference as I initially thought. Well, I, I had basically no interpretation of that. I haven't watched any Phantom of the Opera stuff or read any Phantom of the Opera stuff before. So I'm slowly going off assumptions. I haven't seen any of it, except that I remember watching a YouTube video essay sort of recap slash review of the one where he has a cool helmet mask that looks like a gachamon, uh, and he's got eyeliner, and it's in, like, a nightclub, I think? M knows the one I'm talking about, um... I've seen, a, like, a discussion or, like, a video essay or review about that movie, and I've seen some stuff from Lindsay Ellis, like, five years ago about various adaptations of Phantom of the Opera, but I've never actually watched any of them until now. Until now. And that's pretty good, as it turns out. Yeah. Uh, so. Okay, so let's summary that. So, in the darkness, a figure wanders around stone halls, clutching a lantern, hiding as the shadow of a menacing figure is cast upon the wall. An intertitle explains to us that the Paris Opera House, sanctuary of song lovers, is built atop ancient dungeons and torture chambers, long since left forgotten. At that very opera house, crowds of people enter for the night's performance. Upstairs, however, a deal is taking place. The opera house's ownership changes hands from one pair of gentlemen to another. And as the older owners leave, they warn the new that they might hear rumours of a ghost lurking within the opera house. They laugh, but the warnings continue as they are told that the attendant of Box 5 would not find questions of the ghost so humorous. The new owners go to investigate Box 5 and are told by a maid that she doesn't know who attends it, only that he hides his face and does not speak to anyone. Despite her protests, they enter the booth to see a cloaked figure silently watching the night's performance, and they back out in fear. Stealing themselves, they re-enter to find that the figure has disappeared. It's a ghost. Um, spooky. It like so obviously I assume this is just what all silent movies are like because I you know I haven't don't have a lot of experience with silent movies and stuff. 
But the way people just have so much more body language and movement about them than in like movies with sound is very good. Yeah. Um. It seems like obvious because you know that's the only language they can use. Yeah, and it's interesting that like they show dialogue up on screen, but um, it's only the bare minimum. Yeah, and they only put the words on the screen when there's no way to communicate it otherwise, or doing so would be too would break the tone. You know, like, Mm. you're not going to pantomime everything in, like, a spooky monster movie. Um, Yeah. And it's interesting, like, within those constraints, how much you can do without words, and how much is, like... There's, like, um... There's exaggerated motion in all of the body language in a way that would be silly if if they were talking with it, but because this is how they're communicating, it actually stays inside the tone of being, like, a tense, spooky movie. Yeah, and even without, like, the dialogue, because of the the emotions they're making and, like, the emotion on the face, you can still tell what they're talking about to some degree, which is, I think, why... And also, like, there are... So as I say, it's why like looking back after the movie, I like I hadn't forgotten that it was a silent movie, but I have like these characters talking in my head. And then watching back yeah. to do the summary, I was like, oh actually no, they it's a silent movie. They didn't speak. <laughs> there are definitely a couple scenes where like they have two lines of dialogue show up on screen, but there's a whole conversation happening, but you can just follow the gist of it even though most of that dialogue isn't actually written in the movie. Yeah, like their faces and the gestures say so much more than they could ever stuff onto an intertitle. I know that this whole conversation is Baby's first silent movie, but, like, bear with us. Well, there's a lot of people who've never watched any, so we can't feel too bad. Yeah, but I'm sure people listening have, have watched a silent movie before. Somebody has. Maybe. I mean... I guess, like, silent movies continued for a while after this, but this is a very old movie now in modern context. I was, like, surprised to see color in it. It's 95 years old. Yeah, it was, like, almost a century of cinema. The last surviving cast member of this movie, I believe, passed away in 2014. Um, I think it was one of the uh, ballet dancers in this first scene, who was 15 at the time of filming. Damn. I think that's true. I could be off with those numbers. Uh, I read it on Wikipedia, and I don't have it in front of me right now. It must be wild to be in something like this, that young, and see the medium change so much. Uh, But back to the summary. The next performance comes to an end. And from backstage, the ballerinas see the shadow of a figure looming amongst them. Assuming it is the phantom, they flee, dragging a stagehand along with them as they run about the cellars. A man in a fez briefly passes them, and they wonder if he might be the phantom. One suggests a man named Joseph Bouquet. I assume it's Bouquet. 
nobody speaks in this movie, so I don't know how character names pronounce it very well. I, I know that Lindsay Ellis said bouquet, so I assume that's correct. Also, it's French. That sounds French to me. Uh, Sis, they suggest a man named Joseph Bouquet had seen the Phantom for sure, and they all rush off to ask him about it. Bouquet spends them a story of the Phantom's ghastly appearance, shocking them, and then leads them down to the third cellar where this had been witnessed. Once again, they spot him and they all scatter, the stagehand ending up lifted to the stage which he is very swiftly ejected from. Um, it did not surprise me after the scene to learn that that actor has done a bunch of stuff with like Charlie Chaplin. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets like popped up to the stage and like spooks some people, and then someone else falls down through the hole and then comes back up, and then it's a whole routine. That's when the other person gets knocked down and he's just like laughing on the stage. It's very good. Yeah. <sighs> Later, the mother of the house's prima donna, Carlotta, furiously presents to the owners a letter that she has received. The letter, addressed from simply the Phantom, warns that should another actress, Christina Day, I assume? I have no idea. Uh, should Christina not be cast as Marguerite on that Wednesday's performance of Faust, the effect on Carlotta's career would be disastrous. Defiant, Carlotta's mother disca- declares that she will be performing anyway. However, an intertitle tells us of Carlotta's strange illness that Wednesday, and how instead Christine takes to the stage to sing. Watching the night's performance from a box is Raoul, Christine's lover and his brother. Raoul goes to visit her after the performance in her changing room, and she tells him to forget their love. She is forever bound to the stage and can never leave the opera. After he has left, a mysterious, angelic voice from beyond the walls speaks to Christina. Christine? Hang on, have I been saying it wrong? It aired the whole time. I it is Christine. Christine. Yeah, I've written Christina every single time. That's impressive. Ah, Christine then tells her that tonight he has placed the world at her feet, and that he has made her a star. But she must forget all worldly things, and think only of her career and her ghostly master. Soon, he says, he will take form and command her love. She declares that she'll be waiting for that day, and Raoul waits in the hallway, looking anxious, having heard this entire thing. Um, I really like Raoul. This this actor does a good job of just kind of looking awkwardly nervous in all of his <laughs> scenes. Yeah, just like, Damn, he's just a you, guy. I just wanted a pretty wife, and now there's ghost shit happening? Is this a Satan? <laughs> None of this is in the Bible. Uh, sometime later, Carlotta receives another letter. Once again, her mother presents it to the Opera House owners, and once again, it is from the Phantom, threatening a great misfortune will come her way should she, should she perform the following night. As she leaves, a hand emerges from a cabinet and deposits another letter on the table behind the distracted owners, warning that should Christine not be given the role of Marguerite again, they'll be presenting Faust in a house with a curse upon it. The following evening, having ignored the warnings, Carlotta performs. Backstage, Christine declines to meet Raoul again, and as the performance continues, the lights begin to flicker and falter. Carlotta continues to sing, and the great chandelier is loosed from the ceiling, falling and crushing members of the terrified audience. As everyone flees, Raoul goes to see Christine in her changing room, but she isn't there. Hearing someone entering, he hides. It is Christine entering, but the Phantom speaks once again to invite her to his realm, and the mirror reveals itself to be a door 
She passes through it, but Raoul is too slow to chase her, finding himself left alone in the room. Beyond the mirror, Christine is shocked to meet the phantom and see his face is covered with a strange mask. He tells her to think only of his devotion to her, not the mask, and leads her through the dungeons across a small lake to his secret home and what I assume is a sewer or something, maybe? Uh, I've heard of Paris having big sewers or something like that before. That tracks in my memory somewhere. Yeah, that seems legit. Um, there, after he confesses his love to her, she sees his fun gothic coffin bed uh, and realizes that he is the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I'm not sure how it took her so long, but, well, I'm glad she finally knows. Uh, he tells her his name is Eric, and she faints. Eric places her to sleep in a very fancy bed, and the following morning she awakes and discovers a wedding dress by the bedside, and a note telling her that she may come and go as she pleases. She'll be safe, provided that she never touches his mask. Hearing him playing the organ outside, Christine is taken by his performance and goes outside to listen to him. She also immediately, having been asked to do this literally minutes ago, takes his mask off while he is distracted. The phantom's gaunt, skull-like face is revealed. Shocked and betrayed, he stands up and points at her. Terrified, she backs away, falling to the floor as, she, as he rages. He forces her to look at him before saying that he will prove to her the depths of his love, and that she may return to the opera as long as she never sees Raoul again, remaining devoted to only him. This is a great scene. It's really good. He's pantomiming so much emotion, he's like, caught up in all of this anger and frustration and he's just got his hands up in the air um, and he's just like stalking back and forth. Yeah. There is one problem with this scene, however. Mm-hmm. So you've seen the, um... You've seen those meme images where it's the guy holding out the Dunkin' Donuts cup and says, here's Dunky Donuts because you're epic. Can't say that I have. How? Damn it! How would I find such an image now? They did it with the the pic, the renders of the G-Men when the new Half Life VR game came out. Well, I should know better than to reference memes in any kind of cultural context. But when he is pointing, <laughs> it reminds me of that. Let's move swiftly on. I mean, I literally made a posted a meme on Twitter from this movie. Well, doing it on Twitter is different than doing it on the podcast. Because she points at him, and then the text comes on and says, You're the Phantom of the Opera. And so I posted the picture of her pointing, like that Leo DiCaprio picture. It says, When you see the Phantom of the Opera in Phantom of the Opera. It's still so funny to me that she doesn't put it together until then. (laughs) There's a Phantom in this opera, and also I've been speaking with a completely unrelated ghost who has been helping me in the opera. Well, she thinks he's an angel. Oh, I guess. He, d- he, d- he does have an angelic voice. That's uh, a detail that I know from the from hearing about the book that did, isn't like explicitly stated in this movie is that she literally thinks he's an angel from God sent to teach her how to sing. That's oh. my understanding of that. That's like one thing where the, the silent aspect of the movie fails us a little bit, right? Because that right. aspect of his character is super easy to forget. It's... Uh, because he never speaks, you don't you don't really know that he has like a, a really cool voice. Yeah, unfortunate limitation. 
Uh, where was I? Okay, she swears that she will hold herself to her words of devotion and immediately goes back on them, inviting Royal to come and meet her at the Bal Masque de l'Opera, the sickest party in all of France. It looks great. Everybody is yucking it up. Yes, this looks like a really nice party. I would go to this if I was in France. In like 18, whatever, when this movie is set. Uh, when is this movie set? I have no idea. I don't know. I, I was, like, doing research on what the mask is, and it was like, ah, oh, these were in the 1700s and 1800s. And my brain just immediately went, that's weird. The movie came out in 1925. <laughs> when is Phantom of the Opera set? First Google autocomplete. 1870. The story is set in 1870, but 1881 in the musical. Movie takes place in 1870. Ah, so they kind of shifted around to different adaptations. Uh, which is interesting. Uh, is it eighteen forty-two? Okay. So I just had to look up to remind myself when uh, *Mask of the Red Death* was uh, published because that's about to become relevant. It is indeed, because everyone is having a really good time at this party until the Phantom shows up. Dressed in crimson and wearing a skill mask, the Red Death making an appearance at a slightly different mask. As the crowd parts, he tells them beneath their feet are the tombs of tortured men, and thus does the Red Death rebuke their merriment. Spotting Raoul and Christine, he chases them and they hide on the roof, not knowing that the phantom lurks above them on a statue, listening to their every word. Christine explains that she has seen the phantom and begs Raoul to save her from him. She continues, telling him, as he looks fairly reluctant, that tomorrow, after she takes Carlotta's place in Faust, he must come and take her away. Are they going to flee to England? Above them, the Phantom yells of his betrayal, though neither of them seem to be able to hear him properly, and they go back inside instead. This is a really interesting scene. Um, He only has, like, one line in this whole scene, um, the Phantom... He's just, like, reacting physically to all of the things that he's hearing and, like, recoiling. Um, it's really but he yeah. can't, like, look away. He can't abandon it. He's just, like, constantly, like, impacted by what he's hearing. It's really accented by the fact that, like, this scene is... Like, m- most of the movie isn't in color, but a lot of the stuff in the party is... Um, I think the entire party section was filmed in, like, Technicolor. Aside from the scene on the roof, which is black and white, aside from uh, the Phantom's cloak, which is still red, um, which was, like, done in post, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like, the only color in the scene, and it's very striking. It's really cool. Um, it didn't really even occur to me that that scene was in color. Yeah, it was done using something called the Hanshiegel color process. Hmm. Which I know nothing about. Downstairs, the party is still rocking, but as Raoul and Christine return from the room, uh, return from the roof, my notes are bad, the man in the fez from earlier instructs them to leave down a corridor rather than the stairs. They do so, apparently losing the pursuing phantom in the process. 
And in an office, we see the man in the fez offer a card to someone who we learn is the prefect. I assume that is a position in the police in Paris in the 1800s? I guess so. And the card reads, Eric, born during the Boulevard Massacre, self-educated musician and master of the black arts, exiled to Devil's Island for the criminal insane, escaped, now at large. This is your man, he says, the Phantom of the Opera. If this movie was made today, there'd probably be like a very late title card or something here. Uh, it would just be like a musical. It would be the only time that the music people know from Phantom of the Opera plays in like the 2018 gritty reboot. The only time that music <laughs> plays is as a stinger when this when this is revealed. I mean, this part is definitely in the trailers. <laughs> You're telling me this oh. opera? It's the bit at the end of the trailer. After they've made, like, they leave it ambiguous for most of the trailer what the movie is, and then they end on that. <laughs> uh, at nine o'clock the following evening, Raoul shows up to the opera and instructs his carriage to wait at the West Gate. He visits Christine before the show, who tells him that the Phantom has spoken to her once more, and knows all of their plans. Outside, the Phantom cases the situation at the West Gate, takes a little peek at the carriage. What will he do with this knowledge? We will find out later. The stagehand we met earlier discovers a man hung in the cellars, but once the others come to investigate, the body has been knocked down. It is Joseph Bouquet, killed for knowing too much of the Phantom. His brother Simon mourns him and declares that he will get revenge on the Phantom wherever it is that he hides. Worried for rural safety, his... Wow, I really fucked that up. Let me step that one back. Worried for Raoul's safety, his brother has also come to the opera that night. During the performance, after poisoning some of the lighting people, the Phantom knocks out the conductor and appears before the stage, kidnapping Christine during a brief blackout of the lights. A panic spreads through the crowd, and after following Raoul into Christine's changing room, the man in the fez offers to take him to her, should he do exactly as he says. To earn his trust, the man reveals himself to be... Ladeau, of the secret police, who has studied the Phantom for months. Ladeau opens the mirror door, and the two descend into the cellars. I hope I'm pronouncing this guy's name correctly also. Okay, I see I am. Uh, Ladeau explains... I think it's Ladeau. Ladeau. That sounds better. Right. I'm going with that. This way it's your fault. <laughs> Uh, Ludiv explains that he has discovered the Phantom's secret hiding place, deep in the torture chambers where he was once imprisoned himself. He instructs Raoul to keep his hand raised by his head for safety. The strangler's noose works quickly. The two men descend into the bowels of the opera house, loosely tailed by Raoul's brother, and discover the secret entrance into the Phantom's lair. At the entrance to a dark corridor, a strange man appears before them and tells them that he is a messenger from the shadows. Turn back, or they will perish. At no point does a noose get used on either of these guys. Um, no, actually, it doesn't. They don't even briefly... I, su I suppose there are some nooses in the background of a scene later, but they yeah. are never assailed by nooses. Which is just kind of funny to me. Yeah, there is like a shadow of a rope as they jump down from the secret entrance, but I think that was completely unintentional. Yep. 
In the Phantom's house, he tosses Christina onto a sofa, accusing her of cheating him and spurning his love. Meanwhile, Ledoux and Raoul fall into a hidden torture chamber and find themselves locked within it. Uh, there is a moment where Ledoux sort of turns to Raoul and is like, okay, we are, we are within the Phantom's secret domain now, and they take about four steps down a corridor and immediately fall through the floor. <laughs> it's, it's rough out there for the French secret police in 1870. Apparently. I assume this is... Well, I was going to say, I assume this is why they don't police, but I imagine France still has a secret police. Who would know? I guess no one. They'd be secret. Phantom of the station. (laughs) From within, they can hear the Phantom speaking and realize that they are close to his lair. However, a small alarm sounds and alerts the Phantom that there is someone within his domain. And he heads out through the water to ambush them. It's Raoul's brother, heading across the water in a small boat, until he is pulled beneath the surface by the Phantom and drowned. Which he slowly walks through the water with a big tube so he can breathe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not expecting him to do that. I thought that was a club he was holding. A big same. I thought he had, like, a weird pipe or something. I guess he did. Yeah, I suppose I was right in hindsight. Uh, he just did a different thing with it than I was expecting. Uh, this is like a pretty like intimidating thing that he does. Mm-hmm. It's like, yep, I'm gonna walk directly under the water and drown you. And he really kind of just drowns immediately, because um, we don't we don't film any kind of any kind of struggle or anything. He just kind of tips the boat over, and then it cuts back, and he's walking back. Okay, mission accomplished. Yep, that's all we gotta see. Like, he's, he's good at drowning people, I guess. And strangling them. You know, people just don't get to breathe around the Phantom very much. Expert at making people not breathe anymore. Uh, Christine, who hears Raoul's yelling from the torture chamber, begins to search for keys to the door. She finds them after the Phantom has returned, but is spotted as she takes them. The Phantom realizes that he has more guests than he thought and turns on the heat in the torture chamber, making it unbearably hot inside. The two men struggle and sweat until a secret exit is found, but even this then deposits them into another trap, a sealed room full of gunpowder. As Simon Bouquet organizes a mob outside to hunt down the Phantom, the Phantom demands Christine make a choice. Marry him and save the two men from a fiery fate, or turn him down and see the Paris Opera House be reduced to rubble. He does this by presenting her with a large ornate chest, inside of which there are a large metal scorpion and a large metal grasshopper, the turning of which will either set them free or activate the explosives. Ah, very dramatic from a master of the stage, I suppose. Yeah. Um, this seems like a pretty easy choice to me, but Christine agonizes over it and briefly reaches for the grasshopper before turning the scorpion. This causes water to rush into the room full of gunpowder, threatening to drown Ledoux and Raoul. Hearing the mob coming, the Phantom takes Christine and flees, after setting the two of them free from their watery fate, and steals the carriage at the west gate. The mob breaks into the room and gives chase alongside Ledoux and Raoul, and eventually Christine manages to leap from the carriage, causing the Phantom to turn sharply and wreck it. Raoul and Christine are reunited, and the mob chases Eric through the streets of Paris eventually catching him. After pulling one last trick, 
and making the crowd think he had some kind of weapon, took it away. The Phantom of the Opera is beaten and tossed into the Seine as the curtains close on his final performance. And that's the end. Spooky! Very frightening. We watched a horror movie for the, the horror movie show we do. I suppose this was spooky as shit back in 1925. <laughs> this is a very interesting thing, because I didn't expect it to be a, like... I didn't know that the romance element of Phantom of the Opera was always there. I thought that the original story was about a creepy guy in a, in a theater, which this is about a creepy guy in a theater. Um, yeah, I literally the only things I knew about Phantom of the Opera broadly was, you know, there's an opera, and there is a ghost man that haunts it. That's, that's all I had. I knew that there was a sexy guy with a mask, um, and he was tortured inside... Mm. Uh, and it was hot, is what I knew. Because when I was in high school, I had a bunch of friends who liked Phantom of the Opera, but never in any way where, like, I was ever exposed to watching Phantom of the Opera. Ah. Um, well, I'm glad I didn't go into this movie expecting the Phantom to be particularly hot. Look, <laughs> somebody's into this. Different strokes for different folks, I guess. You know, Except- skull face. Apparently, the makeup for the Phantom absolutely fucking terrified people back in 25. Yes. We had, there was faintings. Also, Lon Chaney did that himself. That was just a thing he did in movies, apparently. Right. Yeah, uh, I've, I think Autumn told me about this. Yeah, he was apparently like, very well known for doing his own makeup in movies. Um, apparently, The great. Hunchback of Notre Dame was the, like, the big movie that he did in was very mm. successful. Okay. Um, 
That seems like very simple the way he did it. Obviously, I guess they did not have like cool makeup shit back in the twenties. I'm sure they had more than we than like we think of. Oh, probably, but he does have metal wires pulling his nose up that made him bleed very often. Uh, here's like a pretty good looking picture of of old old skull face here. Ooh, that's a really clear one. Yeah. Yeah, I I had actually assumed that the nose stuff was like maybe some kind of like a putty or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it is just he has some wires pulling his nose up. Um, oh, I suppose there is some like putty on there to sharpen the angle. But anyway, uh, yeah, look at this! Look at this cutie. Yeah, it's pretty fucking good job. Um. He'd be better off shaving his head, I think. If you yes. have that little hair, like, you maybe give, maybe give in. Honestly, I think the, the mask he wears is more unnerving. It's pretty fucking spooky. Especially the word, like... The it's like a kind of thing. Yeah, that's the spooky part. Uh, the mask ends above the lips, and so his mouth is covered by a little dangly bit of fabric that covers his mouth. Yep, don't like it. Not a fan of that part, not one bit. <laughs> I think the mask has ears. Yeah, he like pinned his ears back basically, he glued them to the sides of his head. Fun. We have dedication to the craft. Um yeah, but the production of this movie sounds like a complete shit show. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was cursed. Ah. Um, I mean, it mostly sounds like the director they had at first just wasn't very good. Apparently he had become Universal's prestige director by completing another movie like close to budget after the original director had been fired. Mm-hmm. Um... But on the side of this one, it sure turned out that, oh, he's actually just, like, finishing a movie doesn't necessarily mean you're a good director. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so after they sort of showed it and people didn't like it, he got the boot, they picked up a new director. People didn't like his version even more, and that's when those two people from Universal came in, edited all the production down to less reels, and removed most of Sedgwick's stuff. Except for the ending. It's worth noting that this ending is pretty different from most Phantom of the Opera stories. Um, yeah, maybe you know more about there's... that than I do. Huh? So maybe you know more about that part than I do. Um, yeah. Uh, basically, she gives in and she's like, Oh, I'll marry you if you save uh, Raul. And this sort of selflessness... Uh, like, strikes the phantom, and he like, oh, you're too good. I will give you your husband back, uh, and I will go away and die alone and be very sad. Um, instead of uh, a guy coming on the screen and saying, I found out where the phantom is uh, off screen somehow. Let's have a mob go and kill him. Let's fucking get him. Let's just fucking tie him up and throw him into the river. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, it feels very very sudden, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't, like, 
actually seen the other stories. I just have have an approximate knowledge of how different this is. But it does seem like um, the people I knew who were really into the phantom would have would have would have remarked on him being thrown into the river. (laughs) I don't think Hmm. that the the more well known modern version. I guess. Not necessarily more well-known, but, like, you know what I mean. But, like, yeah. sexy edit version of Phantom of the Opera. I'm pretty sure he doesn't get tied up and thrown into the river at the end. But, I mean, according to this production segment on Wikipedia, I think the... It sounds like the original Robert Julian version did have that ending. Uh, so it says, to save Raoul, Christine agrees to wed Eric and she kisses his forehead. Eric is overcome by Christine's purity and his own ugliness, which is cool. That's a little bit of editorializing, probably. Um, the mob enters only to find him slumped over dead already at his organ. Hmm. So that sounds a bit closer to the book. Yeah. Um, wow, the original yeah. cut was four hours. Wow. What would you add? I don't know. This movie works fine at, like, 90 minutes. It's Like, you can just have a 90-minute movie. 350,000 feet of, of, like, negative footage. That sounds like a lot of footage. Well, if it I mean, was I... all negative footage, I understand why they cut it to, like, keep it happy. Haha. Um, yeah, it seems like the second cut was way more comedic, also. Hmm. Uh, yeah, audience reaction was extremely negative and summed up by the complaint. There's too much spook melodrama. Put in some gags to relieve the tension. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Ah, no, I feel like there was there was enough gags here. I think they ended up a good amount of gags. Oh yeah, there was it was a very well balanced thing. Yeah, you could do a lot of comedy with just people looking at the camera, <laughs> doing some gestures. There is one bit where they introduce the masquerade ball, where it says um, that Paris, ignorant of ca- of caste, joins together like outside. Like the the classes are mingling at this yeah. masquerade ball. The peasants can come and party. Which sounds like bullshit. Because if you're a peasant, how do you afford a fancy masquerade costume? Which I guess there's a bunch of fucking clowns there. Oh, you know, you save up all year piecing together your costume for the fancy, the fancy ball one night where you get to mingle with the rich people. I don't know about that. That sounds like bullshit. Mm, I'm sure the people making movies would tell you that that's romantic. It is romantic. Everyone wants to believe that the rich people will hang out with you. And accept them. Now, the smart move is to rob them at the party. Ooh. A lot of people are. Or, my costume is a guillotine. Interesting. Now, how would that work? Well, step right up, I'll show you. Oh, yeah. I don't think I will. Do we want to hit some questions? Yeah. 
I got an email for Tron. Um, they watched the version on Amazon Prime, which I didn't even think about. I just watched it on YouTube. Yep, um, it was free. Yep, it's uh, like six different versions of it are on YouTube. Um, mm. I mean, that's public domain, so... Yeah, there's a... The version I watched was a little bit out of sync, I think. The, like, Or maybe it wasn't meant to sync up. But um, sometimes like when the singing was happening, it wasn't matching the, the actor. Or the when he's playing the organ, it didn't really cut in at the same time as he started playing. I don't know if that was yeah. like just they weren't trying for that, or if my version was just so a bad file. I, th- I think that sound will have been added afterwards is the thing. Right. Because I, I just think don't know he... if like... If, like, it was always like that, or if the file, like, got messed up. Because I know that oh. can happen. Uh, I don't know, but probably. I imagine that was just the file. But, um... They asked... Did either of you, like, imagine the dialogue? Um, or did you imagine them speaking French? Um, the Phantom in my head had the dub voice of Kurozo Iron Mask Rona. <laughs> Which makes sense with the mask. Um, I absolutely did not imagine them speaking French because my brain just thinks in English. Yeah, same. Um, you know, rich 1800s French people, rich 1800s English people, what's the fucking difference? Just accents, mostly, which I did imagine. <laughs> um, yeah. Who's your favorite character? Oh, that's tough. Um, I like Lado. Really, mm-hmm. he's cool. He's, he's a cop. Like a s- I, I will acknowledge that. But he's cool. Yeah. Um, I like Christine a lot. Yeah, she's she's very like fun in a weird way. I wasn't expecting. Yeah, there's multiple parts of the movie where she gets told to do things and just like immediate. Well, gets told not to do things and just immediately does them. Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm here to cause problems. Um. Yeah. Do you want to go cause problems somewhere else? Uh, did you have somewhere in mind? How about hell? Oh, I'd love it there. We're going to Funko.com. It's my favorite website. It's not. <gasps> Funko.com will return shortly? Oh, what? Thank you to everyone who participated in our Funko-ween event. The Funko-ween shop is now closed. Motherfuckers, they had an event and didn't email us? What? Oh, if you click the, the Funko button in the bottom left, it just takes you to the website anyway. With the URL funko.com forward slash post Funkoween maintenance mode. It doesn't for me. But weird. No, I can shop as normal. If I delete that part and hit enter, it will take me back to funko.com slash post Funkoween maintenance mode, but it will have the Funko website here. So, um, 
Uh, if I click any buttons, it does bring me back to the banner, unfortunately. Yeah. So no Funko today, huh? Is there some kind of third-party Funko system that we can search why don't instead? You, why don't you just tell me how you feel about the Funko on the screen? Okay. So we have some kind of Frankenstein man. You know, I'm, I'm working with less of an image than usual, so I apologize to the many Funko fans if my review isn't quite on point. Maybe he has some cool shoes on or something that I can't see. Um, I'm assuming that's a crown upon his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Freddy Funko. Yeah, assuming this isn't just part of the render and is present there in the actual model. It looks a little shiny. There's a little, like, metallicness to it. Um, oh yeah, that's Freddy Funko. I hadn't, that hadn't clicked for me. Ah, there's little, like, bolts and shit that are all metallic as well. That's a nice touch. Good to have, like, some different textures there. Uh, he is unfortunately on his phone. He is not paying any attention to me reviewing him, which not a not a real fan of that. That's pretty, you know. People be on be on those phones, right? That's true. Wow, man, that's definitely going to cost some points. Um, maybe the metallic, you know, the nice metallic texture will offset that though. Um, so I'm looking at my numbers right now, uh, doing. The multiplication that I have to do, it's a little bit tough. Uh, but I have the final score. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is going to look like a zero phone goes out of five, unfortunately. Okay. Um, the, yeah. the, the coefficient for being on their phone uh, is pretty, pretty steep. Mm-hmm. Understandable. Uh, what did we do without the phone goes out? This is... Yeah, we so, made it work. Yeah. Wow, they've like really blocked out the website completely. I, I tried to click on Funko Cares, and it... Okay, they now don't... this time it did bring me to the charity page. Wow, they really fucked this up, huh? It's that's why it's in maintenance mode. <laughs> I guess. Something popped. Oh, now I have a 502 bad gateway. They're onto me. Get out of there. <laughs> I've been locked out of the system. Tell us where they can find you online. Uh, they can find me. Well, nope, the phone call people can't find me. They should stay no. away. They everyone else. Find you. Everyone else can find me on Twitter at Wergazelle. And they can find everything I do at Wergazelle.com. What about you? You can find me on Twitter at Neither Nora. You can find the stuff that I do at NoraBlake.online. You can find me. On a new podcast in the next couple weeks called Ars Arcanum, which some people who know the deep lore might remember as a podcast I used to host in 2016 um, with two other people. Uh, We are relaunching that in 2020 uh, completely differently. Uh, We are doing a Brandon Sanderson book club podcast. And so we're starting with Elantris and you can read along with us. Three chapters every episode. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. I may very well do that once I finish the two. Well, I guess I'm only reading one thing. I'm listening to an audiobook of the other. Uh, so if you get your hands on that 10th anniversary version of Elantris with 10,000 words of bonus content, it says on the cover. Ooh. Uh, you can come read along with us. That's going to be at the Export Audio, which you can support at patreon.com slash exportaudio or exportaud.io. This podcast is always on, also on the podcast network. If you give us a dollar, you'll get some bonus podcasts. 
$5, I think, is the tier to get Stellar Missive, which is a blog I do every month. Um, give us money. And if people have questions for the show, why do they send those to? ExportAudioPodcast at gmail.com And with that, time is up for the car hour. Send in those questions and join us next week as we watch Friday the 13th, the final chapter. It's the last one they ever made. But until then, good night. Good night.